Good morning. Happy Father's Day. <clears throat> On my first day of college, my freshman English teacher came into class, a bit gruff, a bit like Louis C.K. He said, as you get older, you either get nice and generous, or you get bitter. I got bitter. And then he unleashed this five-minute tirade that prompted several of my classmates to start packing their stuff so that they could get out of class and get to the registrar's office to drop the class as soon as possible. And as I watched this, I was kind of amazed. I mean, with, with the benefit of, of hindsight, you know, my professor, let's, let's call him Tim, wasn't really a bad guy. He just knew how to work the system. He knew that even if 20% of the class dropped on the first day, he'd still get paid the exact same thing. He'd have 20% less tests to grade, and at the end of the semester, he'd have a lot less negative reviews from people who didn't like his teaching style. It's a pretty good idea. I ended up liking Tim so much that I enrolled in his ancient epic literature class the next semester, uh, where I witnessed the same old song and dance on the first day. Came in kind of all. As you get older, you either get nice or you get bitter. I got bitter. It was a lot less galvanizing the second time, and yet it prompted the same response, people packing up their things to make for the exits. And I, you know, reflected on how Tim's uh, shenanigans really resonated from a note of truth. You know, even though the gruff demeanor he had was, was simply an act, I think he had rediscovered something essential in our experience. The concept, you either get nice or you get bitter, is well documented and is on display here in Ecclesiastes. Even within the first ten verses, Ecclesiastes says, history only repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Everything is meaningless. That sounds pretty bitter, right? I mean, depending on your translation, it'll say either meaningless or vanity. I don't know which one's worse. I mean, either way, this phrase is repeated 33 times. This is not a big book. 33 times. And the author of Ecclesiastes is not doing it as part of an act to scare away readers. He's really struggling to come to grips with how empty and meaningless the world is under the sun, as he authors this book a thousand years before the birth of Christ. I think he, he set out to, to write Ecclesiastes wanting to, to provide a, a blueprint, you know, a, a handbook on life, and a path for subsequent generations to follow. And he's uniquely qualified to author such a book based on his own superhuman wisdom, but unfortunately finds himself at a dead end. His choice to limit himself to what he can observe around him and his own experiences has severely limited him, and it's key to the conclusion he ends up reaching. At the end of his investigation, the best he can come up with is meaningless, meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And he's right. 
a life lived for its own purposes, outside for the purpose of, of dying to yourself and living for Christ, a life lived in vain, in vanity, under the sun, is meaningless and worthless, a chasing after the wind. This morning, I'm looking forward to helping unpack uh, this amazing book. Uh, I think it really transcends time in a a really unique way and may even represent uh, the first instance of some very modern concepts like the scientific method and existentialism. Um, So straight from the royal courts of the lives of the rich and famous, the author rightly concludes that the meaning of life cannot be found under the sun or as said on on t-shirts when I was a teenager, he who dies with the most toys still dies. But before we jump in, let's bow our heads and commit this time to Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together today to to read your word, to, to learn about real meaning and to listen to the author of Ecclesiastes, explain why everything under the sun is meaningless. Please, Lord, help me get out of the way of the the message that you have for today. Please perfect the meaning in each of our hearts. Help us to concentrate and to enjoy this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Eric Erickson, the eminent 20th century psychologist, differentiates between two different uh, possible paths that you can take during uh, personal development. At each of these stages of life, there's a positive outcome or a negative outcome. And it passes a quick common sense test. But I want to focus on the last two stages of life. Here, as a middle-aged adult, uh, generativity refers to to making your mark on the world by caring for others, as well as through creating and accomplishing things that make the world a better place. Key characteristics of generativity include caring for and developing relationships and family, making commitments to people, mentoring others, and and contributing to the next generation. Whereas stagnation refers to the failure of a way to find to contribute. Stagnant individuals may feel disconnected or uninvolved with their community or with society as a whole. Some characteristics of stagnation include self-centeredness, withdrawal from relationships, and a lack of interest in being productive. From there, we can see Graduation to the final stage of life. Integrity reflects a person's ability to to look back on their life with a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. But if they're not able to reach that, they enter despair, which refers to looking back on life with feelings of regret, shame, or disappointment. Other characteristics include bitterness or feeling that life has been wasted, depression, and hopelessness. So on one hand, you have stagnation, and in the final stage, despair and regret. Or else it is generativity and care that eventually get you to integrity and wisdom. So either 
you get nice or you get bitter. There really is nothing new under the sun, I guess. Tim was on to something. History records that Solomon, the presumed author of, of Ecclesiastes, is an individual who reached his penultimate or perhaps final stage of his life cycle and did so with unparalleled abilities bestowed on him by God. According to 1 Kings, Solomon was being asked by God in a dream what he would like to be blessed with. Anything whether it be long life, wealth, or the death of his enemies. Solomon responds by saying, Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing people with justice and have not asked for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me, and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you long life. So here we are. The author of Ecclesiastes is the most qualified man to investigate the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And yet, he does not conclude that the answer is 42 or anything else. Instead, he sees that it is all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And yet, having read or, or listened to this book 20 times over the past year, I don't think that this is a discouraging message at all. I find it quite comforting because I don't need to waste my time trying to investigate it myself. Someone more qualified than me has already researched it. However, I also see in Ecclesiastes, there are, are three major groups of truth that are um, conveyed. Those are uh, observations, and, and most of those observations are not the most rosy of observations either. Uh, recommendations, much like those provided in, in Proverbs, and, and true knowledge, which surprisingly is, is quite rare. There are only three things that are positively stated by the author of Ecclesiastes, I know that. And we'll get to those in a bit. But staying on the university theme here, let's first take a look at an unofficial, super-summarized version of Ecclesiastes to see how desperate things really are. Everything is meaningless. Chapter 2 is the futility of work. Chapter 3, there's a time and everybody dies. Bad stuff happens. Wealth is meaningless. Stuff is futile. People are broken. Life's not fair. Everyone dies. Being stupid doesn't help. (laughs) Understanding life is impossible. And finally, at the end, fear God and go ahead and live your meaningless life. Wow. So, 
while it may seem like a lot of doom and gloom, again, there's, there's a beautiful ray of hope here if you know where to look for it. See, I think Solomon, or whoever the author of Ecclesiastes is, is, is trying to use the scientific method. This may come as a shock since the modern scientific method wasn't defined until about the 1930s. But remember, our author has a superhuman level of wisdom. So reaching beyond the then current way of thinking by 3,000 years or so is not out of the question at all. And I think it only adds to the isolation and despair of what the author is feeling. Remember, this is not something that he worked for and earned, but this is wisdom that was bestowed on him as a gift. So breaking up these types of wisdom into three categories. We see that there's a lot of observation or problem statements. I looked or I saw that. I've seen the burden of, that God has laid upon the sons of men. I saw under the sun in the place of judgment there was wickedness. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. I saw that all the labor and success spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. 43 times observations about how bleak things are around him. And then you see him taking a next step and trying to actually do investigation and, and, and testing himself. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. All this I tested by wisdom, saying, I resolved to be wise, but it was beyond me. In Hebrew, this, this word occurs 36 times. And I think the author's investigation, he was trying to use logic all the resources that he had and the superhuman wisdom to overcome the lack of meaning of the world and, and make something exist, have there be meaning under the sun. But of course it's not possible. And so the author repeats the same conclusion after analyzing the data, everything is meaningless 33 times because there isn't meaning under the sun. And you have to take a wider perspective than that, if we, if we jump forward a thousand years to, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we'll see the same thing. So I tell you, and I insist on it, the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. I don't think this is a, a Gentile-specific problem as we see in Ecclesiastes. So let's keep reading to see the connection here. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Well, darkened understanding and hardening of hearts, that's apparently totally possible even with superhuman wisdom, especially in the context that these, are blessed, that these gifts were given with the disclaimer, and if you follow me and obey my decrees and commands... We know that Solomon had some issues later in his life. So this passage goes on to say here, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. It's almost a summary of the kind of off-page issues that the author of Ecclesiastes was struggling with. So all this being said, I promised you good news when I started the sermon, and I'm eager to share it with you. Um, 
So amongst all these observations, investigations that ended up in vain and, and chasing after the wind and everything else that was apparently meaningless, he says, I know that three times. So let's look at what he says he knows. First one is, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink to find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. Cool. But what is this? Is, is the author trying to kind of backtrack on all that everything is meaningless and not be such a grump? Was it just an act? I don't think so. Because there's a difference between meaninglessness and worthlessness, or, or meaningless and useless. God's gifts are full of utility and value. The rest of the book stands in contrast to this passage for an important reason. Don't try to find meaning under the sun. Instead, find satisfaction in the work that you do as the work you have been given. And once you've done that work, you'll have the satisfaction of doing that work. These are gifts from God. Enjoy gifts in, God's gifts in creation. Beauty, goodness, work, relationships, without looking to them for meaning. They were never meant to satisfy us. Instead, we can enjoy these things as gifts from God and acknowledge him in all of it. Enjoy them for his sake and let our enjoyment of the blessings focus our ultimate trust on him as the one who provides and possesses ultimate meaning. So beyond this, the author expands on this thought further on, in uh, uh, chapter 9, and it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Go eat bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because it is that portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol in which you were going. I think he had to be a little grumpy at the end. But he's just trying to reinforce, once your time is up, it's up. So enjoy your time under the sun. Work hard, and don't look for meaning under the sun. He even adds a little caveat to this in, in chapter 8, that no one cannot comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can ever discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. He's saying, take it from me. I spent more time than I probably should have looking into this. Don't try it yourself, and don't believe anyone else who tells you they figured it out. They're lying. I researched it myself. I was most qualified. I should know. So again, coming back to the first things the, that the Ecclesiastes 
author knows, hold on to this. Have it be the one thing that you remember from today. Go eat your bread and wine with joy, for God has already approved your works. Enjoy life with your spouse all the days of your life. And whatever you find to do with your hands, do it with all your might. It may not be as musical as chapter 3, where there's a time for everything. But I'd highly recommend chapter 9 to anyone wondering, what does it all mean? It's really one of my favorites. So the next thing that the author knows is in verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken of it. God does it so that people will fear him. What exists has already been, and what will be has already been. For God will call into account what is past. Here's the reason why he can't find meaning under the sun. It's because meaning rests with God who's not under the sun. He's not even within time, which is why time can be complete and everything can already have existed before and after. Taking this concept and and adding it to the, the final thing that the author knows here. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will be better for those who fear God, who are reverent, reverent before him. So, fear God. He will call into account what is past. He's already approved your works. He's blessed you with gifts of work and satisfaction and relationships. He's provided you those relationships for them to be enjoyed. And whatever you do, don't look for meaning under the sun. Now, alongside this study, I've also been uh, reading Schaefer's He is There and, and He is Not Silent. You know, light pleasure reading. And I was taken this week by the similarity between the Ecclesiastes authors, everything is meaningless, versus 19th and 20th century philosophical gambit of existentialism. Starting from Kierkegaard, the the assertion of the meaningless of things under the sun is a very, very modern notion. That would infer that the, the the author of Ecclesiastes made yet another 3,000 year logical jump in human knowledge in terms of philosophical constructs. And after exploring them to their logical conclusion, he found them to be dead ends. You have to think about this for a second. 3,000 years, that's a long time. I mean, da Vinci sketching helicopters and flying machines in his notebooks gets everybody excited. And that was 400 years ago. I mean, I think the message of Ecclesiastes is aimed squarely at today's society, and it was meant to have saved us more than 2,000 years of, of angst and pointless searching. I mean, if, if the author of Ecclesiastes really did, in fact, come to the same logical progression as the modern philosophers, that everything is meaningless in this sense, it's like finding a diagram of how to charge your mobile device in the Baz relief of Machu Picchu. 
Except it's not, because Machu Picchu is only 1,500 years old, not 3,000. So, it's just a shame that all the 18th, 19th, 20th century philosophers were so antagonistic against God. If they had only read his cliff notes, they could have applied themselves to new areas of study and published more books about how bankrupt creation is without a redeemer. In conclusion, fear God. He will call into account what is past. He has already approved your works. He has blessed you with the gifts of work and satisfaction. He's provided you with relationships that are to be enjoyed. Whatever you do, don't look for meaning under the sun. Thank you.